We believe to ride and run is freedom and empowerment. We believe riding and running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people were physically active, the world would be a better place. We believe in physical activity because it is our passion. This is the Big Pete's Ride and Run Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. And welcome to the Big Peach Ride and Run Podcast. I am your co-host, Dave Dolomite Martinez. And yes, I am your co-host because we just did something recently and Mike took the lead. Mike is back as full-fledged host on the live stream that we had on uh, Facebook this past week. And we're going to do this uh, every month, the last Wednesday of every month. And we had Bob Kennedy, uh, who is an American record holder, an Olympian, uh, so many you know uh, things that he's done. And um, we're going to take those um, video, uh, you know, live streams. We're going to repurpose them, and you know, in case you missed it, you can get it here on the podcast. Well, you can also, if you want to watch it, watch it on on our Facebook page. But we're also going to repurpose it um, through our YouTube channel. So it was a great conversation, and I think that some, that, you know, he provides some insights that will appeal to runners of all abilities. I know I got a couple nuggets out of it, uh, things that'll help me out as well. So you know, we're going to get right in that conversation right after this break. Don't go anywhere. Big Peach now sells bikes at our Brookhaven location, Big Peach Ride and Run. We help get you into the right bike that fits you and your needs. Many of us enjoy being on two wheels as much as our own two feet. It's not only a great way to stay active and fit, it's also a great way to recover from long runs and also have fun. We carry kids, commuter, mountain, gravel, road bikes, and more, no matter what you prefer. With brands like Giant, Live, a division of Giant that makes bikes exclusively for women, and Momentum, we've got whatever bike you're looking for. Stop by and check out our selection at Big Peach Ride and Run, located inside town Brookhaven, or check out our inventory at BigPeachRideAndRun.com. From the capital of the South, this is the Big Peach Ride and Run podcast. Good evening, everyone. My name is Mike Cosentino. What a thrill this is to be able to do with my good friend and yours, D2 Dolomite. Dave Martinez is here with me. D2 on the big screen. How are you this evening? I'm ready to go. I'm, uh, you know, checking everything, make sure that we are live. And uh, so I do think that everything is working properly. Right on with you behind the controls. That is always a bit of a guarantee. Of course, we're not alone this evening. This is a very special episode for us as we do every year, a track and field themed episode. That is this evening. For those of you listening to this as a podcast, you'll hear us refer to a couple of things that are happening live. Sorry you missed us, but we're glad you tuned into the podcast. For those of you who hear something that sounds like, man, I should be looking at that, know that you can find us over on YouTube because we are indeed on video. And for those of you watching right now, the other, perhaps the most handsome gentleman on the screen right now, our featured conversation, our special guest, my good friend, Bob Kennedy, all the way from Indianapolis, I believe. Indianapolis, Indiana, Bob. That's where I am now. It's great to be here, Mike. Good to see you guys. Well, it's, it's awesome to see you. And of course, we'll do proper introductions in just a moment. But I must lead by saying this. First, for all of you who are like, man, I know Bob. I know what he is all about. I even heard you say track and field themed episode. I wonder if this is for me. Let me assure you, for as long as I've known Bob, if there is one thing I can tell you, that we may be talking about running. We may even be talking about things that have to do with track and field, but there will be something for everyone. 
in this conversation, whether it's personal development, whether it has to do with just self-growth or being a better parent or person or friend or whatever it might be that you aspire to bring to your 2022, I can tell you, you are in the right place. Secondly, before we get to all of the kudos, all of the achievements Mr. Kennedy has racked up and they are deep, they are many for sure. Let me tell you this, and it is true. In fact, I mentioned it to Bob before we fired up the mic. One of the best human beings I know. He is also a colleague in this industry and someone who has become a friend of mine, both as a confidant and someone who I can have some fun when I'm around. So Bob, seriously, man, thanks for My being pleasure. part of this. Thanks, Mike. I feel the same about you. Well, and for those who do not know everything Bob has done in the past, here's a resume that absolutely sparkles. Bob, I know, has heard this so many times. I'm sure I will miss a few items, but Bob Kennedy, why would we have him in addition to being a friend of ours, two-time state champion in the state of Ohio? That was just a couple of years ago. For those of you looking at your video, you would say that's probably not true and you would be right. Also, national champion NCAA, he was at the at Indiana University. He was a Hoosier. He was the national champion in cross country as an NCAA freshman in 1988, as a senior in 1991. He was also the USATF national junior champion before he even got to college. That was 1987. He had more NCAA championships at the 1500, as well as in the indoor mile. He had six that's right, 16 Big Ten conference titles, two Olympic appearances, including one thing that connects him forever to the great city of Atlanta. One of those was in 1996, also in Barcelona in 1992. He was a USTF national champion four years, three of them in a row at the 5,000 meter distance. And check this out, y'all. How many times do you get a chance to talk to an American record holder? Well, you get a chance to do it three times at once because he had our American record at one point or another in the 3,000 meter in the two mile and in the 5,000 meter. He also was in the trials at the 10,000 meter distance with a personal best at that distance, 27 minutes and 37 seconds. For those of you thinking about the Peachtree road race this year already, think about that as your target time and you will need to start your training immediately after this conversation. Currently, Bob is one of the owners of the Athletic Annex in Indianapolis, Indiana, among other business endeavors, the founder of a store where I first got to know him, the Blue Mile that was in Indianapolis and in Louisville, Kentucky. He certainly is no less connected to the running industry or the running scene than he has ever been, and therefore the perfect guest for us this evening. I will not say thank you for joining us yet again, Bob, but I will immediately go to a question. And it is going to be somewhat track and field theme because as this season begins and in the state of Georgia, practices just opened up at the beginning of this past week. And as they do, there are athletes everywhere of all kinds of different experience that are getting started or getting started again. Let's go with that person who now finds themselves maybe as a freshman or newly inspired to try it this year, sophomore, junior, or senior in high school, maybe as a walk-on in college, perhaps as someone who has joined a club team, but they've never done yeah. this before. Take us back to that first time you maybe wandered out onto a track with plenty of talent. What is it they should be thinking about so that this is not just a one season effort for them, 
but become something that they have the possibility of falling in love with and maybe becoming a lifetime pursuit? That, that's a great question that I don't think I've ever been asked before. So um, congr- yeah, kudos to that one. Um, I would I would say I would say look, and I think it it it's true for this the what you just described, but really even experienced people, uh, experienced runners who are just trying to continue to stay motivated, is show up, uh, um, have a mindset of curiosity, not only just to learn mm-hmm. but also to experience, and um, don't don't. And, and understand that it's a, it's a journey running, especially distance running is a journey with ups and downs. And so if it's hard on day one, and if it, if you are new to it, you know, going out for a mile run or a two mile run uh, can be challenging and you come home and you're like wrecked and you're laying on the couch. My mom still tells stories. Uh, when I first went out for cross country in high school, we didn't really have middle school cross country, uh, that, uh, for, for a good month, I was, um, um, basically not functional when I got home from practice, like on the couch, blubbering, couldn't speak sentences, didn't want to move. And, um, and, and that's just, you you'll get through it if you just stick with it. And, I think of the body, the human body is an amazing machine, right? It's, and if you understand what's happening with the work, recover, repair, grow stronger, work, recover, repair, grow stronger, that's just happening really quickly if you're brand new to it. And so uh, you're going to be sore. You're going to be tired. That's normal. Uh, and just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. It'll get better. So let's go with that work, recover, repair, get stronger, because there are some athletes, even if this is their first year, this isn't the first time they've gone out for a run. They've been working at it. They were working at it in the off season. Perhaps they even have some fitness that's carried over from cross country. If they were on that team, of course, we have athletes that are doing sprint distances or shorter distances than what might be that longer distance two mile on the track. So for someone who has done a little bit over the course of the last few months, Compared to someone who's truly starting this week, getting after it, how much of an advantage is there? Is there anything that's going to separate those two athletes in these first few weeks in terms of what they should be doing or anything they should be experiencing? Yeah, I think I think that's a tough one because every every athlete's um, a little different. But you know, for those who have been doing some work, you just a little step ahead, um, and maybe you'll be less sore. Uh, maybe you'll be less, um, you'll be able to recover and go a little bit more, a little harder, more often in, in practice, but I'm not sure it changes, uh, the overall like, um, 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 strategy of what you're going to do. I think the person who's literally just starting is the athlete that's literally just starting they're, they just need to be smart and hopefully coaches, they can, I'd be honest with your coaches about where you are and where you're starting from and it's brand new and, and just, you got to start somewhere. I'm a big believer in that with running, with work, with life, like start somewhere, take that first step uh, and, and go from there. If you've been doing a little bit of work, you're just going to progress even faster. 
Well, and if someone like Bob Kennedy with all those accolades that we talked about earlier can still have his mom recollecting stories of how bushed he was on the couch, then nobody should feel bad about how they're feeling right now if it's still early in the season and you feel like you haven't quite got the hang of it. It could very well change. Go back and listen to all those achievements under Bob's belt right now. Bob, now, there are obviously a lot of disciplines, a lot of different options for student-athletes and perhaps even for masters and others who are participating to some degree in track and field. Was there any way that you could see athletes who were around you come to determine what they should be doing that man this young man or woman she is perfect for the 400 yeah. but man you wouldn't want to put her on the two yeah. mile or perhaps that 100 that she really really wants to do that's not where she might be best suited to help her team and ultimately achieve her potential how do you start sorting some of those things i think that really comes down to good coaching honestly so mm. I, I don't know. I think this is a pretty normal thing in, in high school, middle school, high, middle school track or high school track. And you, and you get a team out, maybe you get all your freshmen and you run everyone in the hundred and you run everyone in the 200 and you basically just learn something from watching. And to your point, mm-hmm. like, I know you want to run the hundred, but let me talk to you about uh, the 400 and the 800 or the mile or the two mile or the long jump, the high jump, the shot, right? So good coaches will start to, um, through watching a kid run the hundred meters uh, or do the long jump, they'll be able to steer them into something they think they'll be better at or more suited towards their natural ability. Now I'm guessing, and I have never coached track like a high school track team, I'm guessing those can be conversations that probably need to happen over time because, you know, if you're brand new to track, you're like, I'm going to do the hundred because it's the shortest thing. And it seems like it's the easiest, right? Um, it's going to be hard to convince what that kid to run the two mile to run like eight laps around the track uh, on day one, but over time, giving, giving them confidence and you'll start some athletes you'll see, they'll start to have a little success. So they run the hundred in the first meet and they, you know, they finish sixth in the fifth heat. And then, you know, maybe they try the, the long jump and they finish fourth. I'm like, oh, I kind of like finishing fourth and better than I like finishing sixth in the fifth heat. And that breeds a little bit of excitement about doing something, a different event. Well, one of the things that is out there about you perhaps now more than might have been the case when you were running competitively is that you were very coachable, that you were not only easier perhaps than some very elite athletes, but maybe even a little bit more fun to work with. Yet that's not always the easiest thing to do. And I don't think that's necessarily true just for runners. I think this has application everywhere, especially the more we think we know what we know and the more we do what we are intended to do, the more we think we have all the answers and want to just do it all ourselves. What would you say to someone who maybe feels that sense a little bit right now, or isn't sure that would give them the confidence that, you know what, one more day, one more week, one more season, I really need to tune into what my coaches are saying. You know, I've been using the, uh, I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot recently and using this uh, recently. My daughter's a high school runner. She's a very good high school runner. And, um, and, I think it comes down to be curious, be curious about what you're doing, whether it be your job, 
uh, a new role at work, whether it be a new event you're attempting or a new sport, be curious, like ask the coaches questions, ask your bosses, your coworkers questions about what did, what did you experience when you first started this event? What did you experience when you first started at this job? You know, what do you experience? So be curious, be a student of the sport, be a student of what your situation is and always look to be, um, to become better at it. And that doesn't mean necessarily that that will lead you to become, you know, an Olympic champion, right? That's not what we're looking for. What we're looking for is how, how good can I be at this role? What am I going to learn from it? How's it going to make me a better human, a better runner, a better uh, coworker, a better friend, a better whatever. Um, so be curious. And I think that applies to what you're asking. Well, I, I love that. And I'm going to say this and you tell me if I'm off or if this connects with what you just said, but that, that athlete, maybe he or she isn't certain that that's the workout that makes the most sense, or that's the discipline where he or she maybe belongs more often than some other time, but it's okay to say, why coach do you believe this is the best path for me? Or what is the objective of this particular workout? Or what am I going to get the most out of in this practice? If I'm successful, is that, are those a fair series of questions? Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think it can be tough sometimes depending on who you're working with, but I, I, I used to speak more than I do to a lot of high school teams and a lot of high school groups. And I would, I would always say, um, you're in charge of you. And what that means is you're in charge of understanding why you're doing something uh, and how it fits into the big picture. And you should be able to ask your coach, hey, what's the plan this week? What are we working on? What's the goal of this workout? How do you want me to run it? What should I feel like afterwards? And, and I then say to the coaches when I'm speaking, and I know sometimes that's frustrating because you don't want to answer a billion questions, but, but get on the same page with your athletes. They'll be better teammates, better athletes, uh, uh, easier to coach if you're willing to engage with them in that. And so I challenge coaches to participate in that and not just say, just do what I tell you to do. Right. That doesn't get mm -hmm. us anywhere. It's like a boss telling you to do what, do what I tell you to do. Well, if I really understand more about why, then if, and I'm curious about it, then I can, I can execute it more effectively. And really that's ultimately, especially distance running, this, which is what I know. We have all these workouts and you can run six by 800, but you can run six by 800 and, and accomplish three or four different things. Right. So depending on how fast you run it, what the rest is, what the effort, all that stuff. And so, so really, what am I trying to do today and go execute it the right way? The only way to know that is that if it's number one, explained to you, and if you truly are doing the work to understand it, and then you'll, then you'll have a better chance of executing properly. Man, I love that. And go back, especially, and maybe I would say, man, this is just between, you know, me and all of the student athletes who are listening. And that is go ahead and ask, show that curiosity Bob talks about and ask, what are we doing in, a, you know, today's workout as a preview? What do we hope to accomplish in this part of our season? But then Bob, how about why? 
How important is the why? Is that part of the curiosity in your estimation? And when you are around really good coaches, is that information that's volunteered or is that information that the best, maybe most curious student athletes are somehow able to get out of the coaching staff? Yeah. And I think the why is very important and, and, um, you know, it can be different, um, for everyone, but ultimately the most powerful why in athletics, and maybe you could argue in most anything is because I want to find out what I'm capable of. That's it. Mm, it's, discovery. it's discovery. And, and where does that lead me? I don't know where it leads me. And, and, and sometimes that can be a little maddening. I mean, I've, I've kind of laughed at this, this thought for, for time. Like I, being a distance runner is a sport where the why is I want to find out how good I can be, how fast I can run the 5,000. Right. And that's a question that you truly can never answer. I don't know. I mean, I ran 1258. I set the American record. Did I run as fast as I was physically capable of running? I don't know. I'll never know. No one will ever know. Right. And so it's maddening to be searching for the best of the best of yourself and not truly knowing if you ever get the answer, but that never, mm. but I think that's what separates, not separates, but that's great. Athletes don't care. They just keep asking the question. That's awesome. Curiosity, such an important theme already. All right. This is part of my script because you do such an awesome job of pairing knowledge that, that connects so easily into whatever the activity might be, as well as some general guidance, I think, that comes out when you speak. So, Bob, I'm going to take you back to your days in Ohio as a state champion. You already indicated you can remember being gassed on the couch, but can you remember something that is still somehow stuck with you these years later that was a realization or was a comment or is still a memory that impacts you to this day that becomes this life lesson that you may have never anticipated way back as a 15, 16, 17 year old, but now you're super thankful for. I think so. And I think it, I've mentioned this already in, 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 in some form, but when I was, um, I was a junior in high school and I was at what was then the Kinney National Cross Country Championships, now the East Bay uh, National Cross Country Championships. And Billy Mills was the speaker. And, um, and Billy Mills had this great speech and I don't remember most of it, but the one thing I remember was he said, it's not about the victories, the medals and the records it's about the journey. And as a 16 year old kid, that made absolutely no sense to me. Right. Zero. I didn't understand it. I didn't like, I, well, of course it's about the medals and the victories and the records. But as I was fortunate enough to progress and succeed in college and have a professional career for, you know, 13 years post collegially, it really hit me that looking backwards, that it is about the journey. You know, I'm 51 years old now. I'm well past my competitive days. And the, my most fond memories are about a process, the human beings that I connected with along the way, 
um, the journey, the, the days that I had that were really tough, whether it be a bad result or a bad week of training or injuries, um, and then being able to move through those and succeed at some point, that's all journey, right? It's not in a flash. It's not a flash in, in time. It's, it's a process over time that develops you as an athlete, but ultimately as a human. <clears throat> Man, I want to I want to pull so much out of there, but you said something that teased me up for another question that I have, so I'm not going to miss the opportunity to use that runway. So I'm going to go ahead okay. and take it. You just mentioned some of those things that are really really tough. One of the things that doesn't get talked about often enough in my opinion, especially with an athlete of your caliber, we talked about all those accomplishments. There were far more races you did not win. There were four more, far more targets you probably never hit. There were probably far more disappointments than mountaintops. And yet, whether it's me as a podcast host or anybody else that you're speaking to, even these days are going to go back and recite all the national championships in the NCAAs, all of those Big Ten conference titles, the Olympic appearances, all of that that's super cool and obviously does help define Bob Kennedy for those who don't yet know you fully. But let's take us to all of those instances where we do not get what we want, where our result does not come. More are going to experience that this season than state titles or even conference titles or perhaps making it to sectionals. How do you deal with the disappointment that comes your way as well? I think of every, every experience is an opportunity to learn. So every, uh, uh, um, successful race or workout is not just, oh, I did well today, pat myself on the back. It's still an evaluation that happens, right? But but certainly when it's a negative experience or a, a, um, a failure, um, that's the real time to look inward and learn. And, and most of the time, it's not a big change. It's more of a, a small change. So for example, I'll just use your example. Let's say my goal this year is to to qualify for the sectionals uh, and I don't do that, right? I miss it by a place or a few seconds or whatever I miss it by. You know, in my opinion, the most effective uh, um, process there is, it's okay, I tell my daughter this, it's okay to be disappointed. Like that's fine. Uh, but what are you going to do about it? What's the positive outcome? And, and so that might be something like, well, I know that I'm, I, I was going to, you know, I didn't go to practice every day. And so I, I know I missed one or two runs a week because, you know, I had to get home or I had too much homework or all that stuff. Right. And so my, my learning might be, well, next season, I know that I didn't accomplish what I wanted to. And I know that I didn't do what I said I was going to do. So now I'm going to do it and see what happens. I don't know if that makes perfect sense, but every, every experience is a learning opportunity. Uh, I'm a big believer that if you truly, truly want to find out how good you can be, then failure is a part of that process. You can't have that without failure. And so learning to embrace failure as a, as a, as a, part of the process of finding out how good you can be is uh, very important, but also uh, very liberating. 
um, um, instead of being afraid to fail, you, 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 you kind of say, okay, at some point I'm going to fail. So that's fine. And it liberates you to take more chances, uh, uh, to be more aggressive, to, um, as I say to Sophia now to, um, there's always the moment in that distance race where you're, you don't know if you can keep that pace up for the next lap, two laps, three laps, and you just, you just got to give it a shot and see what happens. And if you fail, you fail. You'll learn from that. Yep. Well, I love the fact that you brought that, that learning up because and I had heard this expression many years ago and I've since had a new take on it. And that was sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And I think what you did was connect that if you don't hit your target, you should ask yourself, well, what did I learn? And it's possible that some of the best coaches are even going to those athletes, maybe in the midst of disappointment, maybe as a habit they formed, what did you learn? And making that something that becomes habitual, becomes part of the routine. More recently, I've heard sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. You always learn. And on those days when you do hit that time target, when you do win the race or place where you want, you should not excuse yourself from asking the question, what did I learn? And I think, Bob, you've pulled that out so wonderfully for us. 100%. And, 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 the, the, the successes are a great time to learn as well. So why, why, why was my workout on point today? Well, I, you know, I've been getting to bed earlier this week or boy, my head was just really focused when I started the workout. I really kind of thought about what I was going to do, how I was going to do, like, it could be anything. Right. But, but to your point, ask that question, why was it good today? That's awesome. Well, there's another theme here that I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and tie into something you said previously. And you talked about even with yourself, gosh, could you have ever run even faster than what you did when you had the American record at 5,000 meters? And you said accurately. So in my opinion, you will never know. No one will ever know. The theme I'm going to tie us into now is potential. And more specifically, is there a way for us to kind of know what our potential is? And what role does potential have, whether for the veteran or someone who is a novice at this? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, maybe there's a maybe there's a um, some sort of exercise physiologist out there who who has some formula for that. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but um, I think the way that I would look at that, Mike, is it's hard to know. It's hard to know, like, let's take a high school freshman. It's hard to say, hey, that kid potentially is an Olympian, right? There's so many levels and variables that have to fall in place. Physically, maybe someone knows that, yeah, physically that kid has a potential to be at the highest level or has a potential to be a state champion. I don't know how to answer that personally. But what I would say is, what's the next thing? What's what's the next best thing that I can be doing? So if I'm if I'm a sophomore and I ran, you know, five minutes in the sixteen hundred meters last year, um, what's the next best thing? Well, I'm going to break five minutes. And when I break five minutes, what's the next thing? And then what's the next thing? And so you set these short-term, smaller, attainable goals 
that hopefully you reach. And as soon as you reach them, you set the next one. That's it. Mm. Just, and, and then who knows where that leads you to, right? It could lead you anywhere. Um, I think that sometimes I see that we don't set, I'm trying to give you a context here, just in my, my kind of um, larger experience with high school athletes and coaches, and I mean just talking to them and speaking to them, not like coaching because I don't coach, but uh, and talking to high school coaches, I don't think we as a society, as high school track runners set tough enough goals for ourselves. Mm. Like challenge yourself. And the reason sometimes I think we don't is because we're afraid that we won't reach them. That's okay. I would tell you that in my, my athletic career, I probably every year I would set these goals. I probably never reached the goal ever, but I got close and close was good. Right. And close required a ton of hard work, right? That instilled the discipline that was necessary, perhaps even had you doing things you didn't think you could ever do and prove to yourself that you could endure that kind of pain, that you could commit yourself to that depth, whether it was a workout or a season. That's exactly right. Well, and it's interesting. And part of why I think about potentials, I know it has application well beyond the athletic arena, into the workforce, into relationships, obviously in so many areas of our life, we say, well, what is our potential? You know, I remember there were four instances when I was intending to qualify for Boston where I got kicked in the teeth and it didn't happen. Somewhat self-reflection, there were two instances I remember thinking that was as good as I could have possibly done. And two instances where I could figure out what I had not done either in training or during the race that gave me the opportunity to reach my goal. But I thought, man, potential is that big element that is so tough to get our arms around. So I love the fact of setting targets consistently. We move the goalpost back on ourselves voluntarily. It sounds like. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, 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 and stretch yourself, but make it attainable and make it short term enough where you have this positive experience, whether it be in a workout, whether it be uh, in a race, and then keep moving the bar, keep moving the goalposts so you keep stretching. I don't like, I don't ever like to settle. I mean, we, you and I have been in, in, this, in this retail business for a long time, and I know you well enough because we've had a ton of conversations. We have successful businesses and we're constantly asking ourselves, what's next? What's next? What's next in the customer experience? What's next? the product line, what's next. And it's the same in athletics, right? What's next? That becomes a habit to its own, you know, build those habits now and who knows where they'll have application and dividend down the road, even if it's not on the oval somewhere. So I'm going to be super tactical now, Bob, because I think one of the things, and I'm glad you mentioned this earlier, even if you don't necessarily recollect it or didn't mean to have it make an impact. And you mentioned, well, I don't know if I got enough sleep. So I'm going to go super tactical because in my estimation, there are way too many student athletes out there who believe they are putting their best effort forward because they are working hard at practice. They have been doing this long enough to know the difference between a good workout and a mediocre workout. But there are these other things that they're not yet willing to either commit themselves to or have not yet been convinced maybe have a role in them either reaching their potential or giving themselves the ability to move the goalposts back even further. Let's first talk about nutrition. 
I know it was many years ago and many sports drink formulas ago that you were racing competitively, but nutrition probably has always had some role in an athlete being the best that she can be. What do you think for that student athlete, regardless of how good they are naturally or what kind of results they've posted as it relates to their nutrition at the beginning of a new season? Oh, it's, it's, I mean, nutrition is, is, um, and it doesn't have to be this, you know, super, you know, um, elite, you know, uh, diet. It just has to be good, basic nutrition, but this might sound obvious. Let's talk for one quick second on, especially distance running, you know, you're, we'll talk about the, 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 the work, the recover, uh, uh, and the get stronger cycle. So, um, when you do work, when you do a workout and you tear your body down a little bit, your body says, oh man, what just happened? Okay. This athlete, uh, stretched, it was a long run. So they stretched their glycogen, glycogen stores in their muscles. Your body basically says, I need to store more glycogen, right? So that's how that with recovery, you allow your body to do that. Well, nutrition is a part of your body repairing itself. And, and if you can't help your body repair, then you miss that repair part of the, the work repair. Uh, I, I already messed up my, my uh, saying, but the work recover, repair, get stronger cycle. And so if you're missing out on the nutrition, the sleep part of it, which is, I think, completely related, then you're not allowing your body to repair itself. And then if you don't allow that cycle to work itself out, you basically go from work uh, to work, to work, to work, and you're not getting stronger. Mm. You're actually stalemating or getting worse ultimately. So nutrition is a huge, huge part of that. And again, it just has to be the things you learned in grade school about the basic food groups, right? And we know when we eat junk food, we know we're eating junk food. That's not a surprise to us most of the time, right? And so, um, and I'm not a big believer of of going like, cold turkey. So, I mean, if you want to eat potato chips periodically, eat potato chips. Just don't eat them for every meal, you know, seven days a week, you know. So enjoy yourself. Have some of those things you like, but get get good nutrition in you. It's going to help you repair and that's going to help you get stronger. That's awesome. Remember that. I thought I was going to have to give you some of your guidance back to you because I had written it down about the recover, repair, get stronger. And so there it is again. And I love the fact that you tied nutrition to that. I was at the coaches association meeting. Jay Stevenson, who's been on this podcast, is a business partner of ours, also indicated the importance, maybe especially so for women, but not necessarily independent for the men on teams out there everywhere. And that is also being mindful of iron and other critical elements to the extent that you can afford or have access to a blood test at the beginning of the season. That was a strong recommendation he made at the coaches association meeting. Bob, I'm going to go a slightly different directions. You know, we're live here this evening. For those of you who are listening to this on podcast, do not send us a question now. It is too late. That that particular ship has sailed. Jason asks, and this is a great question, with such a storied career, what is your fondest running memory? Since running memories are not like children, maybe you can choose your favorite, but is that possible with that many stories in your career to have a fondest running memory? Yeah, I have a handful. I mean, certainly, and probably the one most people are aware of is in Atlanta in 1996 and taking the lead of the Olympic final a few laps ago. 
And the memory that I have of that is the little backstory there is I was a fast finisher. I could close in 54, 55 off a fast pace, but on a slow pace, that wasn't going to be good enough. Other guys in the final could run 51, 52, 53, and, and I can't compete with that or couldn't compete with that. And so we were trying to really kind of run some of that out as to those, some of those finishers. Um, and so I took the lead and I stretched it out and I ended up running about 157 low for the last 800 meters of the Olympic final uh, and was sixth. So that tells you how good everyone else ran, the five other people ran the last 800 meters faster than 157. And, um, and, and I don't, I was so in my own world that my, my, my memory of the moment in the moment was just like at any other race. But when I went back and watched the race on film afterwards, that's when I heard the roar of the 85,000 people when I took the lead and I literally got goosebumps watching the video, uh, the film, which I did not get or even notice was happening in the actual race. So that was cool. That's one of my most memorable experiences. So I was going to ask you about that. How could we have a podcast connected to big peach in Atlanta and not talk about the 96 games, that video, that race itself is tough to get. It's kind of gone bootleg out there. I don't know what the heck has happened to it. I don't know if something transpired that nobody is supposed to know about now, but take us back to, to 1996 and, and just, you know, for those of us who were here, we'll never have the type of experience you did being in the opening ceremonies, being part of all of the, pageantry that was part of the centennial status of those Olympic games. And of course, being a competitor and and one of those with terrific results coming in and a big name as you were at the games, what would you just say to me and everybody who now calls Atlanta home that is still so special to you about that season in your life? Well, and I think, you know, being an Olympian is a lifelong dream for many, many athletes. And I was, very fortunate to be uh, a two-time Olympian. Um, having the Olympics, competing in the Olympics in your home country is really cool. And, and you know, mm. that's a crapshoot, right? How old you are, where they are, what the cycle is. But to be able to walk into the stadium uh, in the opening ceremonies, the last nation out as the host country and the home crowd just go ballistic and the stadium just shaking and rocking is super cool and then just in my own event taking the lead even though i didn't notice it in the moment but just the support of just having usa on your chest in your home country with your home fans uh was super super special so i'm i'm thankful for that i mean i still run into people that i've never met before that say Oh, I went to Atlanta. I was at that race or I was at other days of track and field. And because it was here and close and drivable for so many people, even if you didn't live in Atlanta, it was just, it was cool to have that. Uh, uh, Cause you don't, you don't get that in Barcelona or Seoul or these other places. It's harder to get to right for us. Very cool. So I'm going to go to another event. You may not remember this one, USATF Championships from 2001. 
This indicates that our coach had videos on VHS of that event. It was a nail biter. Does that particular event ring yeah. a bell to you? Yeah. I remember most. So tell us about yeah. this. This I remember most. I have a weird memory about that stuff. Yeah. So for those who did not have a coach like this particular friend of ours apparently did, what was the 2001 USATF championship that was such a nail biter? My research apparently isn't deep enough to have that one committed. What happened? How did it turn out? Uh, so that was a year. It was a 5,000 meters in Eugene and uh, Adam Goucher uh, was the young up and coming stud, right? And he had beaten me. Oh, it was that right. Nice. Okay. And I was kind of injured and, and trying to get fit again. And I was going to that race and I said, oh, if I just run with him, he's going to outkick me. And so I, after 2000 meters or five laps, I started, um, I, we call it in and out. I was running 62, 63, and then back to 68 and then going back to 62, 60. I was changing the pace every lap. Um, and there's a little bit of an art to that, meaning when you do that in a race, if you're going to do it, you kind of have to have your competitors come with you on the pace change. If they don't, then it's you doing the work. And so we get to, and then I change the pattern. So I have to, I create this pattern of pace change. And then I can't remember exactly, let's just call it 600 meters ago. I was supposed to slow down. I just kept going. Um, and, I, and you don't drop athletes like Adam Goucher when you do that. What you do is you run that kick out of them. And so... Uh, I ended up winning that race mainly because I was, I, I ran the kick out of Adam and when he went to go kick, he just didn't have it left. And that's one of the most satisfying races that I've run because, um, you know, I really had to think about that one. I really had to do something mm. different, uh, in order to, to have a chance at winning. And, um, so that was fun. That was fun. And Adam and I still laugh about that because he'll say, in fact, I did a podcast with him recently, and he's like, I had no idea what was happening out there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <It was hilarious. laughs> well, before we let you go, I have a couple other sure. questions. One of them I have to ask. I'm under obligation for my daughter. For those who perhaps would have come to this otherwise, Bob was kind enough to speak to her cross-country team in the fall, and so he already has a little bit of familiarity with her, but she now starts track and field, and she is having just some discomfort around her hamstring. She recognizes, of course, that you're not a physician, so she's not going to ask you for medical advice, but she's in this awkward sense of, do I really let the recovery happen and forsake some of this, you know, early adoption of more consistency and more uh, just, you know, routine? Or am I in a position where I kind of got to go for it? Cause I do have a goal at the end of the season. And if I just let this nagging pain, that's not, you know, that sharp pain that we say you're injured, Instead, it's just that nagging pain. Does it end up getting the best of me if I'm too patient? Any thoughts for that person who is starting with something that's not yeah. perfect, but is not an outright yeah. injury at the beginning yeah. of a season? My, fir my first thought is if you have the ability to find the answer to what's happening, you should try to do that from someone who knows, a, a, an athletic trainer, mm. a doctor, whatever it is, right? What's causing this? Is it is it a strength imbalance? Is it a rotated hip? Is it, you know, hip imbalances sometimes cause hamstring issues, whatever it is, right? Um, because you want to try to fix it. 
Um, having said that, and my daughter, Sophia, who's a junior in high school, and um, I'll brag about her, ended up seventh at the East Bay National Cross Country Championships year, this year. She, she was dealing with an Achilles problem for most of the fall high school season. And we got professional help and we were getting work done and she cross-trained a lot, right? So I would say it's very, I would say very, it's risky to just run through things, especially if you don't have an awareness of what is happening. Um, and so cross-training is a way, if you can do the right type of cross-training that doesn't irritate or aggravate the specific injury, uh, is a way to maintain fitness while you try to get healthy. Is it perfect? No. Is it is it better than taking time off? Absolutely. Sophia ended up going through that and coming out on the right end. It took some time, but that's good. Um, and then the professionals, you know, the great thing with her Achilles injury is there are times, depending on the injury, where the professional will say, yeah, I know there's still discomfort there, or I know you still feel something, but it's good. It's healthy, strong, it's prepared. So go ahead and get your running in. And, and we're going to do these things to maintain our healing process. But just having someone that knows what they are doing tell you you're good, you're good to go, is, is very helpful. That's awesome. Super helpful. I knew her question would have application elsewhere. And for those of us like Bob, like me, who are parents of athletes, tune back into that point he made about continue the investigation. What is going on? It's really easy as it was for me, even as knee deep as I am into this industry to say, is it a go or is it a no go? But really it could be one or the other alongside not giving up on finding out more and figuring out what is going on. We've not been able to uncover that yet. And I think we got to ourselves thinking, well, we need to be patient or we need not to be patient, but that's the end of the investigation. I think Bob, what you just did for me and hopefully for everyone else is don't let the investigation stop. If something is bothersome, keep on trying to figure it out. Okay. Last well, let question. me just say real we'll quick you go before you go. Yes, please. Young, yeah, yeah athletes but especially young girls a lot of it is strength they're just bodies they're catching up right and so doing mm. really simple basic strength work body function stuff can be helpful to maintain to, to prevent injury to get stronger and they're just growing they're growing and developing so fast that their body can't keep up Awesome. Well, the last question before we let you go, this is just going to get everybody started. For those of you who have not been in and around spikes for track and field, we're going to give you your primer here in just a moment. But Bob's last question, very rarely, in fact, it is only Bob who has been on the Big Peach Ride and Run podcast who has had shoes named after him, both the Kennedy XC and the Air Zoom Kennedy. Yes, you are looking at why Kennedy was in those titles. Bob, my question for you, generic, simple to ask. I don't know if it's easy to answer. How good were those shoes? In your estimation, as an athlete, how good were those shoes that had your name on? Well, for their time, they were great. Uh, technology has certainly <laughs> evolved now, but uh, for the time, they were great. I mean, Nike... Uh, when they when they made that shoe, they didn't just make a shoe and put my name on it. I was in the lab. We were doing, I mean, if you look at the shoes where the spike placements were, those were all scientifically developed and designed. And um, I really like I really liked it. 
was good. That's awesome. He is Bob Kennedy. Now you know him better than you did. Plenty more material out there that you can learn about Bob. This will not be the last conversation we have, my friend, on video and certainly to share with the public. But I really, really, really appreciate you being willing to do this. It's always a pleasure to see you. My pleasure. Anytime. I love it. Awesome. And don't go anywhere. We're not even going to take a break. Like I said, we've got information about spikes, especially for those of you who have not done this season before. You're going to want to know, do I need a spike? I'm going to give you a visual here in my screen. Hopefully you can see this. What I'm looking at right now is a sprint spike. So why is this a sprint? Why is the other shoe or two that I'm going to show you not a sprint spike? I'm going to make this easy for you to identify, perhaps give you a sense of what you will need when you come in to one of our stores to think about trying on a pair of spikes. So first of all, a sprint spike, you'll see very, very easily that there is not much here on the heel. That's for good reason. A sprinter going to be much more up on his or her toes. So the reasoning for this particular construction is simple. There does not need to be a protective element in this shoe because you are spending all of your time up on the forefoot. Obviously, by taking that out of the heel altogether lessens the weight of this package. And even more so, it puts the technology where it needs to be. And that is up in the forefoot. The other thing that you'll see in the forefoot, and you'll see this on all of our track spikes is those places where the pins will go. That is what you're going to do when you get those temporary or perhaps fixed, as we call them on a fixed plate, fixed pins that are going to be the spikes themselves. But a sprint spike going to have either a rounded or certainly very thin heel, and that will separate it from its cousin. This is going to be a middle distance spike, and you can see very quickly the additional padding that exists on the heel. Now, it's obviously significantly less than what you would find in a conventional trainer or most of the shoes on the wall at a Big Peach running company, but certainly going to be a little bit more protective in the heel than what that sprint spike is. This is known as a middle distance spike, a little bit of padding, a little bit of protection. Certainly when you're running that 800 or so, it's not like you're going to be up on your forefeet the entire time. This gives you a little bit of protection that the sprint spike does not. Oftentimes, you could also use a shoe like this for cross country, has a dual purpose. And even more so, there are plenty of you who would say, well, I want a long distance spike. That particular element on the back is going to be even more, let's just call it what it is, beefy or inflated compared to the middle distance, certainly far more visible and very reasonably put in place because of longer distance here, you're going to say one mile, two mile on the track, as much protection as you're going to get in a track spike, again, would have a lot of application for the cross country season. For those of you who are making the investment, what else do you know? This is a competition shoe. You're doing your big workouts in this shoe and you're doing your meets in this shoe. This is not an everyday trainer, even as a long distance. Certainly the same is true for a middle distance or for a uh, sprint spike. Not going to want to do all of your practices in it. Certainly not going to want to do just regular distance or getting a little bit of mileage in around the track. That makes no sense at all. That's where you're going to want the trainer. If you have a spike, you should have a trainer as well. What's the longevity of this? Yes, these shoes can be maybe even as much as half of what a conventional high mileage or long distance trainer is. Some of them with more technology could be a bit more expensive, but if your feet are not growing, you could very easily have the same shoe 
as long as you are okay with the fashion statement it makes season after season after season the entire time that you are an underclassman. The reality is, is you may only get maybe a hundred miles out of this midsole, but if you think about what kind of distance you're covering when you're in it, it is far, far, far less than a hundred miles. So as long as you don't outgrow it, you can keep wearing it. For parents who are maybe making the purchase for their son or daughter, yes, it is okay. Unlike in a trainer where we would say a thumbnail's length or longer to make sure you have enough room between the longest toe and the end of the toe box, you're not coming downhill on the oval. You don't have to worry about banging your toes up against the front. So if your son or daughter has his or her toes right up against the front, that is okay. That is a proper, maybe even many times recommended fit for this type of shoe. The one caveat, the asterisk for those who are paying the bills, if your son or daughter is still growing and you want to get more than one meet or more than one season out of it, you're going to want to have a little bit of room so they can continue to have their feet grow without you having to go out and get another pair altogether. The last thing I'll mention, we already talked about the pins that would be in them. Every single product that you should find, certainly that you would get at Big Peach, is going to come with both a wrench and the pins themselves. Do not leave these in when you're not competing. It is not sensible from a safety perspective or from an investment perspective to be walking around on concrete or asphalt or even grass with the pins still in the shoes. Have the wrench with you at all times. Take the pins out when you're not using the, the shoes the way they are intended to be used. And the cool thing is we sell replacement, both wrenches and pins. There are certain sizes based on where you're competing. And it is far less expensive to just buy a replacement set of pins or a new wrench than what it is going out and buying a brand new shoe. So keep that in mind. Ladies and gentlemen, I have one question for our esteemed producer and my co-host, and then we're going to send you on your merry way. Bob Kennedy, what a thrill it is anytime we get to be around him. You're one of those people who always takes something out of a conversation and then figures out how to apply it into your own life. For the rest of us, what was that in our conversation? Well, I mean, Bob? you know, I, I, there's a couple of things because I wrote down a couple of notes and he used some some time uh, at when he when he said it. But it was, you know, when he talked about the journey, it wasn't about the medals. I thought that was a good reminder, mm. you know, um, especially for those of us that are just average runners. We're just out there, you know, weekends, you know, just running a regular 5K, 10K or even a, up to a, a marathon where it is really about the journey. We're not sponsors. We're amateur athletes. It's We're not getting any paycheck at the, at the end of, of a race and a medal doesn't really mean that much. Uh, it's that personal accomplishment and, uh, you know, it, and that's part of that journey. The, um, you know, I think the dealing with disappointment, I think those are things that, uh, I think we all can apply to whether it's athletic or personal or professional, you know, things that, you know, kind of looking ahead and, and when something doesn't go as planned, is to you know look ahead. What's next? What can I learn from it? What are the things that I'm going to uh, improve on? I mean, I look back, you know, and I shared this story on the previous uh, podcast about you know my marathon, you know, and and I had certain expectations, and I, you know, it was I wanted to break that four hour on my first marathon. I didn't do that, but I went back and reflected. It's like, okay, what didn't I do right? You know, what what? And it wasn't really what I didn't do right. It's what I could do in addition because I did all the training. You know, I missed some of it because I had an IT band issue. So then it was like, okay, that IT band issue is what caused the, issue, the problem and why I didn't achieve that goal. 
So how can I rectify that? And that goes back into discovery. And so I started diving deep into, you know, I'm more of a self-diagnosis. I'm not going to go, you know, I, I got to figure out and, and learn from it, but trying to figure out well, what was it, you know, why was, did I have IT band issues and why did it occur when I was hitting those 18, 19 mile runs as opposed to when, you know, you know, it was when I was running five miles. So that discovery and then learning about strength training and imbalances and all that made me a much more informed, you know, runner a more, uh, you know, much more educated runner so that I could then apply that to my next marathon. And just doing that alone, I took 20 minutes off of my, you know, marathon time and got me to that closer to that four hour mark. So those are things that you learn, but it's that disappointment. It's that journey. And lastly, it's that recovery and nutrition. Um, what was it? Work, recovery, um, Repair, repair get, get stronger. stronger. So those four things, because you know, it was one of those things. You know, right now I'm I'm coaching the um, the Run ATL training program, and I've got you know a couple of individuals that have reached out, and you know, one's doing the the marathon, and you know, you know, she was out sick, you know, for a week, uh, and it might be COVID, might be flu, I don't I don't know, but couldn't run for a week. So you know, how do you build that mileage back up? You know, do I jump back into it? Do I try to make up the distance? You know, and there was a question also about, um, you know, strength training and working on the glutes and, and, and leg strength. And I'm like, that's great, but you got to stop doing that when you start getting into that last three to four weeks, because at that point, recovery becomes more important. You know, the strength training and all that, that building part is part of that base and that maintaining and as far as that endurance. But it's those last couple of weeks, especially going into a marathon, where that recovery and the ability to repair those muscles become much more important than the strength, you know, because you don't want to go into a marathon or even into those long training miles, especially when you start getting to those 20 milers, you know, and, and be tired because then your form falls apart. Um, there's things that start happening and, and, you know, if you, your muscles and your tendons and everything else hasn't repaired, it keeps breaking down. So you start kind of digging yourself into a hole. So it's just a great reminder of that. And, and, you know, and tying that in all with nutrition as well, I think is, it's very important. So for me, it's, it's helps reinforce things that I've kind of already learned things that I'm already doing and, and passing that information on to others as I coach and help others achieve their goals. That's awesome. This was a special conversation, a special episode. D2, thank you for everything you've done to pull this together. Again, a big thanks to Bob Kennedy for being so generous with his time and with his insight. Be back with us on the next video cast. It'll be February 23rd at 6 o'clock p.m. In the meantime, of course, the Big Peach Ride and Run podcast, it gets released every two weeks. D2 doing some great stuff. If you've not heard his recent episode on smart goals, you want to check that out it is something especially this time of year that you do not want to miss but for the time being believe it or not our time is up we must let you go but we will be back in 30 days on this same channel february 23rd we already have another great guest lined up we hope you will join us but in the meantime as we always say as we certainly mean your best miles those are just ahead so long Hey, y'all, if you enjoy our podcast, let us know. If you have topic suggestions, questions, or guests you'd like to hear on the Big Peach Ride and Run podcast, email us at podcast at bigpeachrunningcoat.com. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube.